the actual movie experience now feels a little bit more like a proper commitment and what I enjoyed about the actual aspect of seeing a movie today it took me back to the time of Great Depression psychologically is a shit product strewn with gold my favorite kind so it was great extremely entertaining I think criticizing uh, any sort of a fiction entertainment uh, it's like if you would get your portrait painted by Klimt or Picasso like it was in the movie and then be surprised what your nose is not straight or it's not a perfect photograph of your representation. In a way House of Gucci tells us more about today than about the uh, late 90s, the early 90s when it was uh, set and the late 80s. Um, it is because both of them capture uh, decadence. Decadence is usually is you obtain a decadent aesthetic when a society reaches the highest point and then it cannot but fall and it starts this process of falling into the abyss of of enjoyment and pleasure me, i love i love um, fascinating characters. fascinating characters I mean, and assassins as well yes i mean i have to admit yes me too i think uh, you know serial killers uh uh, sociopaths, they are the most fascinating people uh, on our planet. I, I think so many people around the world are trying to, to throw statues down, okay, to destroy statues. Is That is also an obsession with the past. It's the same thing, yes. It's this inability of looking at the future and thinking that by erasing the past, by bringing the statue that was put there 100 years ago mm -hmm. down, you will solve the future. Mm. And the Whatever problem, uh, ideological problem you, your life uh, or your society has, you can solve it through capitalism. And I'll sell it to you uh, through a soap. If we really want to start a dialogue with different cultures and raise some sort of a community awareness, well, why don't we stage a show and presentation in Afghanistan if we really want to speak about contemporary society? Okay. No. We are the Diet Coke Society. You want to eat, drink Coke without getting fat. You want to drink coffee without the problem of caffeine. You want the laxative chocolate. Uh, we treat death as pornography in our society, meaning that we don't want to deal with it, with the practical side of it with people dying or uh, with everything that is because after all is a natural occurrence in life death and we don't want to mix with with it too much but as you were saying we are very good at celebrations and stuff especially if you can capitalize out of it is that in 30 years if this regime falls there will be a post uh, North Korean uh, regime fashion and everybody's gonna run around with the with the haircut of Kim Jong-un and, and the leather coat Hello, we are back. Culture gone bad is back. So today uh, we have a lot of exciting themes to talk about. We will begin with the latest movie, House of Gucci. Mm -hmm. Then we will talk about new beauty line launched by Harry Styles. We also will review... And Pharrell. Well, yeah, he'll wellness loads of men lots yeah. of men going into beauty market we will give a little review and share some thoughts about balenciaga couture show in shanghai yeah 
and we will wrap up with the death of Virgil Abloh and reflect a little bit on his career and what will happen to fashion if anything will. Yeah, besides, we have to say, just staying in the realm of the Far East, we can comment on Kim Jong-un, Kim Jong-un or however the name is pronounced, uh, the, the North, North Korean leader. Yeah, leader in the, fa- the, 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 the dangerous fashion choices that Koreans, North Koreans are making. Yeah, Matrix movie fans better be there. Uh, exactly, yes. All right, well... Drippy, uh, we had a very pleasurable experience of going to cinema this week. Yeah. Which I thought was really nice to mm-hmm. see House of Gucci. And I think my first reflection, probably it's a little bit triggered by everything which has been happening in the world, is we don't go to see movies that much, obviously a little bit because of a pandemic. But also, I feel we consume TV series more than ever before, especially with all the subscription channels. The actual movie experience now feels a little bit more like a proper commitment. And what I enjoyed about the actual aspect of seeing a movie today, it took me back to the time of Great Depression, psychologically, because... Yeah, no, honestly, it did, because um, we live in a sort of apocalyptic crisis reality today, with a lot of things are not being worked out properly still, and I guess it's also the reality of life, we all have a lot of things going on, and going to cinema in the darkness, you have no choice but to focus on one thing. Because, look, every day we have our phones, something happens, and the actual absorption into something for two and a half hours, I found it almost like a meditative experience in a way. And besides, overall, I thought it was a greatly entertaining movie. Yeah. So I think uh, one of the key aspects which struck me after reading all the reviews of it, because... I mean, this is what we do. We also see what other people said about it. Um, I thought it was super fascinating how Gucci family uh, found it insulting. And there was a lot of criticism saying what uh, it was not fair towards family and exposing a lot of conflict, scandals and dirt. And my first reflection would be, so this movie is not a documentary. This is an entertainment fiction based on a real story. I think criticizing uh, any sort of a fiction, entertainment, uh, it's like if you would get your portrait painted by Klimt or Picasso like it was in the movie and then be surprised what your nose is not straight or it's not a perfect photograph of your representation. We we probably should perceive any kind of a creative work, not as a reflection of facts, but uh, maybe we should see different things, which we will be uh, reviewing today. But uh, my big impression, I actually thought it was genuinely great and fun and not accurate 
from many perspectives. You obviously will be able to say more about the actual story because I'm sure it should be, you know, it a little bit better. But fashion element, uh, it, it didn't even represent even what the latest 90s Tom Ford influence on Gucci was. Actually, I actually didn't feel like... It was Jared Leto, right, who played uh, Tom Ford? No, 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 no. No, it wasn't him. I thought it was Jared Leto. No, no, Jared Leto played the, the Paolo, the, the, uh, the ah. older cousin. He was so transformed that you couldn't tell. Right, that's So why. transformed. Oh, right, yeah. okay, because I got completely confused, because I was like, no way he looks so young. Like, I want his beauty bread, whatever he's using. Okay, well, uh, anyway... I didn't feel what even Tom Ford uh, did, had enough of a feisty character, which I would uh, like to see, especially with this 90s show, which was such a transformation for brand and probably some of the most desirable pieces, especially with 90s fashion revival today. But um, I also think uh, this movie was very much entertainment for the masses it's not one of these uh, fashion movies which uh, people who work in fashion professional go and see and reflect november december it's a time when movie industry produces things for all public to be entertained and this is perfect reflection of this another thing which i already touched on we live in a time when there's so much uncertainty, a lot of people are not sure what's going on in the world, what will happen, a lot of people are super lost. And we all want to forget about our problems, we want to experience uh, joy, even if it's just for two and a half hours. And I thought this movie made me think a lot about the narrative of, first of all, human experience, which everyone can relate to money greed um, luxury family relationships it always very well presented there yeah so um a couple of things to uh, you made me think of a couple of things so first of all the uh, family not liking the movie I don't remember mm-hmm. any family like any movie inspired by them or any biopic uh, being liked by the person who was represented, so that that's something pretty pretty um, t- usual. So n- nobody likes to be presented in movies in a certain way, of course. Uh, the, the the question though here is is that this is not just a movie about about uh, Gucci who does an artistic representation and there were many many artistic uh, distortions in this movie of the Gucci family. The problem I think is uh, that the movie was in the titles uh, they wrote inspired by a true story, so not adapted by a true story. Not um, it was inspired. It was not based on a true story, it was inspired, which common people focus on the word true story. But in fact, inspired means that you are opening for whatever uh, whatever manipulation, and the family felt manipulated by that. So if they didn't write um, such a thing, uh, they could have taken any liberty. But the, th- the thing is that they didn't change any name. They were suggesting that that's the actual thing that happened to the Gucci family. Those, those, those were the actual facts. They didn't change names. It's inspired by a real story, by the uh, book of Gay Forden, which is... Uh, which 
which also has the same title and is a journalistic account. So it was a movie that played a little bit of ambiguity when it comes to representation. Now, what I think of the movie, and I very much agree with you, is great entertainment, is my favorite kind of movie, is, is a shit product strewn with gold. My favorite kind. So it was great, extremely entertaining. And they caught, uh, they, I think Ridley Scott is a genius because he knew he was not going to get away with, uh, with this movie. He was not, it, it was impossible to approach this movie and make a great movie out of it. So he thought, okay, I've got the choice between trying to do a masterpiece and failing to do so and ending up with a bad movie or intending to do a bad movie that is so bad that will become somehow iconic and he went for the second because he's a great director and he doesn't compromise his value with uh, with any cultural product so what he did was interpret what it means in italian terms drama now drama is a grecian concept is not an italian concept the italian concept is melodrama like the opera, but what is melodrama? Is drama with a little bit of laugh of laughter in it. It's like Mozart operas. Okay, there is a little bit of drama and a little bit of laughter, and that's exactly what House of Gucci gives you. No, not truly. Um, it's a drama, like I said, anyone can relate to. We're not really focusing on fashion. We're focusing on idea of family business, and look, um, I think any family given money name and this recognition and glamour and luxury we will fall apart and we will have all these conflicts i I don't think any family maybe except for a few are pro like can be you know proved from this so i don't think it's necessary uh, a negative uh, connotation of a family it's just the reality of human but uh, because again, as going through the current times, this movie is incredibly escapistic with the depiction of a lifestyle. It all starts with fashion, glitter, glamour, art, fun, wealth. All these characters they are really absorbed in this experience. And then it all suddenly turned into a chaos, decay, revenge yeah. and death. And it really made me draw parallels with Roaring Twenties and probably another creation which highlights this sort of a lifestyle is Great Gatsby. It really made me think a lot about it. And you know, there is a quote in Great Gatsby about careless people, how they go about their lives. They do whatever we want, they get entertained. Uh, they dip their toes into all the pleasures of life. You're talking Great Gatsby the movie or the book? The, the book? Yeah. Right. I mean, uh, yeah. Because the movie was, I think this was a much better movie than the Great Gatsby movie. No, no, movie. totally, totally. I just think more about the idea of how we can indulge into specific ideas and lifestyles, especially when we're exposed to them, and how easy, unless you don't manage them well, or you don't sort of approach things in a bit more strategic way, 
they tend to fall apart and decay. And this is exactly how I felt. The whole movie characters, I don't think there was any single scene when someone was not drinking. And I'm not giving any moral critique to that, but I'm just saying... No, no, uh, I think you caught something extremely important, which is that Great Gatsby, exactly like House of Gucci, portray a moment of decadence. In a way, House of Gucci tells us more about today than about the uh, late 90s, the early 90s when it was uh, set, and the late 80s. Um, it is because both of them capture uh, decadence. Decadence is usually is you obtain a decadent aesthetic when a society reaches the highest point and then it cannot but fall. And it starts this process of falling into the abyss of of enjoyment and pleasure. And pleasure becomes something uh, something that is completely detached from uh, from a betterment of self. It becomes pure indulgence in pleasure. And that's I think exactly what happened in the 20s with Great Cadsby is this grandness completely detached from the rest of society and leads. And to uh, strengthen this point that you make that I didn't think about before, one thing that I noticed is that in, in House of Gucci uh, they portray a city that does not exist because allegedly the city is Milan, but what they do is that they mix shots. Obviously, who doesn't know Milan and Rome very well? I lived in both, so I know both cities quite well. Who doesn't know the cities doesn't get one uh, one thing. Milan is not a decadent city. It's not a Baroque city. Um, they tried to create the stereotype of the decadent Italian city and they use shots of Rome and shots of Milan mixed together. So, for instance, all the area where Maurizio Gucci lives in Milan uh, is uh, is a very elegant area, uh, like the real, uh, the real part of Milan, but they used um, an area in Rome called Quartiere Coppede, which is a liberty, extremely decadent, uh, beautiful uh, area of Rome. And they used Everything and also the fountains. Those are not Milanese fountains, of course. Those are clearly Roman fountains. So they even created this imaginary city to to give this idea of decadence. No, you're absolutely spot on. Now I just remember visiting Italy, and yes, Milan uh, strikes me as quite urban, very modern city compared yeah. to Rome or Florence. Milan is Gil Sander. Rome is Versace as okay. as a type of style. Here yeah. we go. You you just uh, said it in the best yeah. fashionable way possible. <laughs> um, and movie starts with the narrative what. We all see luxury fashion. We all pass Gucci stores. I mean, we all have done it. Like, anyone can relate, especially in London. And when she says, you do wish you could become part of it, maybe one day you can afford um, second last expensive thing in a store. And when she says, but you never will. And I think it really sets the tone for this narrative. What It's an exuberant, extravagant lifestyle, presented to us in this movie it's it's super absorbing i feel you can really lose yourself in this two and a half hours but in the end you also see the outcomes of this destruction and i think uh, what also struck me there were a lot of um, narrative what she married 
Maurice, so but she is not a Gucci. And even though she is the one who probably influenced him so much, she was constantly reminded about that. And out of the whole family members, she is the only one who got very upset when she went to this market and saw all fake Gucci merchandise. She was so, so... Uh, determined to find a solution and all family members were like oh we don't care like we are gucci like who cares about this fake uh counterfeit products and i thought it was no no the the suggestion that they were making was different you do you think because i read the book so the suggestion that they were making with the counterfeit things is not that they didn't care is that gucci that's the suggestion of the movie is that gucci produced their own fakes and sold their own fakes in order to earn from them, avoiding to have to pay taxes for them. So some people say that the greatness of certain houses, Italian houses, was to produce their own counterfeits so mm. that they would also earn from them. That was the suggestion that was not clarified. Ah, Does it make sense? Super, yeah, it's a sort of mafia way of making money. That was the suggestion, which is one of the reasons why the Gucci family has uh, really complained about the movies because they felt portrayed like a mafia family. Interesting. I didn't see it from this point. You know what was my sort of understanding? Because we kept on saying to her, you're not a real Gucci. And I thought she was the most who was upset about Gucci fake merchandise. Mm-hmm. And I thought probably because she was not... She had happy. something to prove. She had something to prove. Yeah. And she was in a way fake herself. And I thought, you know what, we all get triggered more by things which touch our own biases and I thought it was another yeah. narrative about because even when she found this Peter um, fortune teller her first question was like will I make it in life will I be successful she was desperate to establish herself and any idea what something will not succeed will not be real uh, upset her on the most profound level because all the family members regarding how um how much we represented the pinnacle of mediocrity. We were content with that. But she was the outsider, so she had a lot to justify. I thought it was another narrative which really resonated. Which, uh, exactly, that's that's another th- point. The fact that they try, the narrative around the movie has been to sort of atone uh, Patrizia as a symbol of uh, of feminism in a way and a strong uh, woman who fights in a male dominated world which nothing could be could be more wrong about patrizia because she was everything anything but a feminist anything but uh, that type of woman that that today's progressive narrative would like to see in patrizia she was just a very uh, selfish person who uh, thought about herself more than anything else and she killed her husband for it because she didn't want her she didn't want the husband to find another signora gucci in fact one thing um that i noticed is i watch many interviews of patrizia and she's a very fascinating character especially for me i love i love um Fascinating characters. Fascinating characters I mean, and assassins as well. To, yes, I mean, I have to admit, yes, me too. I think, uh, you know, serial killers, uh, uh, sociopaths, they are the <laughs> most fascinating people uh, on our planet. Not the most wholesome, but they really 
uh, change our culture on the most profound ways which anything else will never do. Yeah, they're kaleidoscopes to understand. But in one of her interviews, she said um, about her husband, she was always very... That, that's one character that Lady Gaga caught very, very well. Uh, by the way, uh, by, by listening to Lady Gaga, I would close my eyes and I would hear you because she had a Russian accent for some reason. She, that was anything but an Italian accent. To me, she was either Russian or Bulgarian. That was not an Italian accent. That was ludicrous. It was one of those ludicrous things that I think the director wanted to have just because it would, uh, it would so make extreme. it so bluntly trash that, it, that who cares? Like, let's enjoy it as it is. But uh, anyway, I, w- I was saying, one of the things that Patrizia she says is uh, in real life the real Patrizia used to uh, said once to a famous Italian journalist she said my my husband was like a cushion it takes the shape it took the shape of of the latest us who sat on it that's that's what Patrizia said about the husband so you you see this sort of irony in in the character played by Lady Gaga as well that she's very very ascetic very uh, shady yeah Yeah. incredibly fascinating character I am I actually for some reason also thought uh, where was this madness in her character this ridiculousness also uh, it was constantly highlighted what she didn't come from high society. She was very low culture. She didn't know a lot of things, all his friends or the family uh, were part of. But she never was faced by that. She was just quite... Uh, she had her eyes on a price, essentially. And I thought it was very capitalistic notion in her as well, being productive and finding a way to get that, whatever it, wherever it takes. Yeah. And it made me think about Giles Deleuze's theory of capitalism and schizophrenia, because I thought she was quite schizophrenic. But um, what he analyzed, where is the way how, beside mental illness, schizophrenia can be seen as a productive order. And I thought, especially the second half of a movie, she started getting more and more extreme, more and more ridiculous, and all narratives started to uh, plunge into chaos. I thought capitalism was taking the leading role. The brand was doing really well. And in the end, it was bought by a successful group. And it turned into a huge successful story. So essentially... No, the, the, the thing is that capitalism became so powerful that at some point, the concept of capitalism detached from the concept of family, which created yes. that capitalistic system. And the capitalism uh, eliminated family. Because at some point is the sole who buys the br- who manages to uh, to eliminate Maurizio Gucci from the company. So capitalism detaches itself from the people who have originated it in the film and takes a life of its own. So that that's so yeah that's so true. By the way, I I thought one thing in my life. I studied. This is a movie about fashion. In my life, I studied mainly three subjects. I studied films. I, I have a degree in film studies, I have a degree in history of cinema, I am currently taking a degree in psychology, and yet the only interpretative keys that I can think of come from psychology. Neither from my film studies nor from my fashion studies, because it's the only way to explain how fucked up they all were. I mean, uh, yes, but I think 
find any family in these circumstances, I think very few people will stand the test of power, all this luxury lifestyle and the ultimate price of running this business. I think it can really tear a lot of people apart and take them into this mad uh, run, what this movie is about. But speaking of Lady Gaga, I thought... uh, I always thought she had a very sensuous femininity in her, and I thought she was absolutely stunning, sexy and desirable in this movie. I thought visually, I really enjoyed looking at her throughout the whole movie. I thought it was great. Yeah, she was extremely well-dressed. Some of the garments were from the Gucci archive. Um, she was less, she is, in the movie, she's less pretty than Patrizia was, because Patrizia was extremely pretty. Not beautiful, but pretty. Uh, Lady Gaga was not as pretty, but I agree with you, was extremely sexy and sensual. Um, now, one thing that I found interesting is the way in which the brand, Gucci, is managing the movie. Because... On the one hand, they gave their archives to the movie. On the other hand, they are doing everything, anything they can to dis- to detach themselves from the uh, from the movie. For instance, they dressed Lady Gaga only for one of the premieres. The second premiere, she went dressed in Versace, and the third dressed in Valentino. So clearly, the Gucci is not uh, is not linking uh, the brand to the movie too much, and that is because fashion cannot handle any uh, depressing stories or any darkness. Fashion is not really good at that. So, but having said that, I've seen the uh, data for the uh, Gucci accessories uh, the week the movie came out, came out and, and, the, um, and the sales data are staggering. Like, they went up more than 200%. Yeah, there are a lot of statistics with people googling, searching, yeah. uh, Gucci clothing, but also there are a lot of uh, demands for archives. So I think all the resale sites, secondhand, uh, vintage Gucci is also on demand. This is incredible again how our society, even through this depressing, difficult story, aspires to escape into past through wearing clothes it's it's not only about contemporary collection of brand identity it's also about touching something real which happened before because it feels more authentic than today's bleak reality i I agree with you and i think the uh this uh putting ourselves inside the past with fashion looking at fashion from the past uh, signals uh yet again our inability to face the present and Weirdly enough, uh, the reason why I think so many people around the world are trying to to throw statues down, okay, to destroy statues, is that is also an obsession with the past. It's the same thing, yes. It's this inability of looking at the future and thinking that by erasing the past, by bringing the statue that was put there 100 years ago Mm -hmm. down, you will solve the future. And the future cannot be solved by obsessing over the past. You have to think in terms of future. So even Gucci should think the brand and the consumer should think in terms of future rather than the past. In essence, I think we are trapped at many different levels, creative and historical and intellectual levels. We are trapped by the past. 
well hopefully some brands are looking into the future and uh, let's talk about Harry Styles okay then bring me back to the past Wow. Uh, <laughs> is that in the future? I have only passed. <laughs> no, if that, come on. If, if Harry Styles' brand is the future, I want the past. Sorry, go on. Explain the brand because... Well, well, I'm interested. Hold on. Let, let's talk about it first. May, maybe throughout this conversation, it will change your mind. You never know. Maybe next thing you know, you will be ordering um, uh, his magic uh, glitter pearls for the face or whatever he's producing. But yeah, um, the phenomenon of celebrities launching their own beauty ranges, skincare is nothing new. Industry knows really well how to capitalize and commodify celebrity identity and it's not even anything new for fashion we all know fashion sells cosmetics and small products uh, better than their actual clothing and uh, designer garments because it's just a fraction of a price but the opportunity to identify with specific brand or specific celebrity is incredibly alluring and we have examples of Rihanna's Fenty we have um, a lot of k-pop celebrities doing their own brands we oh, we even have Lady Gaga doing her mm -hmm. own makeup brand she did do you remember the perfume the black perfume she produced the perfume no yeah I many years ago she produced a, a black perfume it was about 10 years ago it was an egg a black uh, perfume that once you sprayed it on on your body lost the color and became colorless Ah, amazing yeah. very full sounds uh, very entertaining but yeah, I mean, celebrities do a lot of perfumes. Like you can see Nicki Minaj, Britney Spears, all of them, they do their perfumes. It's nothing new. However, it probably has been the female-dominated uh, industry because the biggest consumers of cosmetics are mostly women. And we have some examples of maybe like Jeffree Star, who from being influencer launched his own makeup brand. Who's Jeffree Star? The guy who slept uh, allegedly with uh, Kanye West. Uh, apparently, is yes. the guy with, with the like blonde, blonde guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I find him incredibly fascinating. He oh yeah, yeah, yeah. he totally. manages to uh, sort of bring this traditional notions of femininity almost like from 50s but in a contemporary vulgar way he's got like a uh, pink ferraris um i think he's even got like his whole flat uh, wherever he lives probably in california i assume which is which is a place i imagine him to live like i think he's got like whole place decorated with pink carpets it's incredible i, I think you know he, he refined just, yes yeah. yes very very refined and very very consistent in his aesthetical choices i think anyone who is consistent with aesthetics deserves a lot of respect regardless but um what we see lately specifically with this harry styles is a new trend for male celebrities to launch their beauty brands and he launched a brand called pleasing and there are some nail polishes uh, glittering pearls for the face and um, a product called a pleasing stick which i would thought would be a sex toy if i didn't know it was makeup brand but apparently 
it does something magical to your face. Um, so so does the burka. <laughs> well, Jeffy, um probably does not shine that much, or it's not magical. Come on, okay. <laughs> <laughs> magical burka. Um, and then Pharrell Williams also launched his own skincare range, which uh, says a lot about wellness. Um, what kind of stood out for me is how we communicate the brand launching messages and they say about bringing some uh, joyful messages to their consumers and also about a blur of boundaries this is like what the official statement is saying and i thought makeup was about you know just putting something on your face to change its appearance, maybe to, to look a little bit better, to make yourself look better. Uh, I mean, people use makeup for all sorts of reasons. But uh, I find these ambiguous messages of what sort of boundaries, what sort of joyful moments. Uh, I maybe yeah, pleasing I, stick can bring them. Yeah, I don't know. But, I think uh, I think that's, that's what bothered me about these yeah. two things, the Pharrell Williams uh, brand and the Harry Styles. Although I'm must say you respect the Pharrell Williams a little bit more and I'll tell you in a minute why. So um, uh, the first thing I thought is um, when Schiaparelli and, and Gabrielle Chanel, uh, Gabrielle Chanel started in I think 26 with her number five. And uh, shocking. Shocking was 35 I think. Mm. Yeah by Schiaparelli and those were really the first Attempts at creating what in fashion we call the horizontal expansion. So expanding not so much in terms of price, but in terms of categories. Product categories. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you look at uh, number five, for instance, you are always amazed. The formula changed over the years, but remained pretty much the same. And you're always amazed by the amount of scents they use to create this magical perfume. So it's always product-oriented. Whereas in this case, both Harry Styles and Pharrell Williams, uh, it, it was never product-oriented. It was not even celebrity-oriented. It was value-oriented. They were telling you, that you can buy your own atonement if you're a man, if you buy my own stuff, because you will sort of wash away your toxic masculinity from from your body through my products and it was uh, an attempt of sort of atone males and females and saying and and especially Fario Williams um, he advertises his own products as gender neutral products which is very funny because since I was a child there has always been a section with male products which are marketed as male products and we have been fed with this with this uh, scientific uh, demonstrations that the, ma the male skin is different from female skin because of different different uh, hormones, different uh, all sorts of different reasons why males and females have different skins. And now uh, Pharrell Williams uh, comes and says that uh, that uh, there you go, we have a, a gender-neutral product, which is a contradiction in terms. So, the, the funny thing is, uh, the, the narrative about uh, transgender, homosexual, everything is born this way. So, the Lady Gaga philosophy, okay, if you are gay, you are born this way. But if you are, um, if you have a female skin or a male skin, that's socially constructed. How is it possible? Isn't this a contradiction in terms? 
So your skin is socially constructed and we will market it as gender neutral. Whereas if you are, if you uh, are whatever identity you are, that is born this way. That is sort of inbuilt in your genes. Uh, whatever you identify as is built in your genes, but the uh, physical reality of your body is somehow socially constructed. It's a bit, I, I find it a little bit of a contradictory message. Um, one thing though, the reason why I appreciate uh, Pharrell Williams more, first of all, I would b rather buy Pharrell Williams as, rather than the Harry Style, just because Pharrell Williams is a 50 years old man with a perfect skin and a perfect face so it's much more convincing <laughs> having said that the reason why i trusted him more is because he at least tries to do a little bit of unique selling proposition in his in his um uh, campaigns he explains that he uses kaolin which is this uh, this uh, product that uh, respects the natural um oils of your skin uh, whereas uh, Harry Style was pure emotional selling proposition. There was no unique selling proposition, no talking about the product or talking about the uh, ideology and the emotions, as if you could. So it's almost like saying, whatever problem, uh, ideological problem you, your life uh, or your society has, you can solve it through capitalism and I'll sell it to you uh, through a soap. Yeah, um, I also not sure to what extent we're actually targeting male audience, especially Harry Styles. I think Harry Styles is quite popular with female fans, especially he's coming out with a boy band historically. And this is a sort of my reflection. Probably we're trying to advertise cosmetics on the male celebrity to sell to women because they will find it sexually alluring. It's almost like um, David Beckham advertising underwear. Obviously men buy it, but they buy it because probably women find it alluring, big, big percentage of. So to some extent, um, also like the same with Jeffree Star, there are a lot of female customers. And when I think about people like mass public, mass consumer, but don't have that many men actually using cosmetics. And I'm not saying we're unknown, but... Uh, but they are targeting it to gay men. Well, That's the thing yeah. with Harry Styles. But even with gay men, not all gay men look like Harry Styles or look like Jeffree Star. So I think it's a very, very small segment if this is what we exactly. want. Exactly. And in fact, I think I think I, uh, I diverge a little bit from this idea, mm -hmm. but that's interesting. Let's see who's right in a couple of months. Because what I think is that uh, Harry Styles, especially, they are, both of them, but especially Harry Styles, they are, uh, in a way, uh, trying to capitalize on a platitude which is that now gender fluidity sells and now there is no difference between males and females because everything uh, we have passed that and they are trying to build on this on this ideology on this thing when in fact they will be defeated by the market because it doesn't matter how ideological uh, you uh, want to be or how much there are certain things that are not down to ideology that are just down to 
basic biological differences in interests. I'm talking about averages, I'm not talking about extremes, okay? I don't fall in that average, so I'm not talking for from an mm-hmm. anecdotal personal point of view. I'm saying that that is not... I think, a viable solution uh, for making profit. They think it's a viable solution because that's what marketing in uh, contemporary uh, uh, right now uh, preaches. So I think it's just myopia. I think it's just uh, they are just short-sighted. They think they will make money. They think it will work because it worked for Gucci, uh, this uh, this um, sort of narrative. They think that it can work for them, but they forget one simple detail, that their product is a cheap product. And to make profit needs to sell to many more people than, than Gucci uh, does. So I think there is a misconception there. Is not uh, probably yes. I, I agree. Probably they are also trying to sell to women, but even when you try to sell to women, this gender fluid thing is not necessarily the winning strategy. I think they are just getting it wrong, and capitalism will prove them wrong. Yeah, or, or like I said, it's probably not going to be bought by uh, the male customer but female yeah. customer because it's also even the type of a product i do feel like it's something which could be desirable by women but we shall see exactly and also i think that it can work this strategy can work if you are targeting a niche the problem mm-hmm. is that that niche of gender fluidity is becoming a little bit overcrowded um, because Lush is already doing certain things, so you don't really need Pharrell Williams soaps. So um, th- that niche is becoming a little bit crowded, uh, and that's the reason why I don't think all these experiments w- will be, on the long run, will be... There is a whole segment of the market which is still untargeted, because everybody is running away from toxic masculinity, unless they are targeting it to wash masculinity away and and clear your sins with the soap yeah with uh, with a special yeah. uh, anti-toxic shower gel well Jupiter, here we go we've got a little business idea maybe we should start like a toxic masculinity skincare brand you know yes if um, there is guy if there is any toxic masculinity any brand uh, targeting selling products to Toxic masculine, mas- toxic male, to toxic males. macho males. We can uh, uh, advertise with us. We are open to the yeah, idea. But, but, Especially but, I am. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean I, I'm sure we can find a lot of audience for this uh, brand profiling in Russia and Italy. So <laughs> exactly. actually, we can any China, uh, Chinese government, Chinese government should possibly reach out to us. We can uh, since they banned <laughs> feminine men. <laughs> Yeah, we can uh, we can hook them up with some solutions uh, which will promote uh, higher morality levels and uh, help us drive a capitalism forward. Well, speaking of different customer segments and growing markets, uh, Balenciaga done a little couture presentation in Shanghai recently. Obviously, it was an extension of a presentation of couture in Paris earlier, but I thought it was very interesting event to talk about, because first of all, um, I find the message which Damana is bringing forward for his couture idea 
is slightly perplexing because he began with saying what he does not believe in idea of gender or notion of exclusivity and another one well, you see well, it's becoming crowded it's too busy I'm, i mean come on i'm sure there are a lot of opportunities in shanghai and uh, couture in 2021 uh he said it's not about the cons- consumers whom you can count on two hands uh but uh reaching to wider audiences and i'm not sure which audiences he has in mind maybe the children of these people who are growing up but well the Couture market is. Uh, I I looked at some numbers. The couture market in the world is uh, impress impressively small because exactly. only four thousand women can uh, buy couture in the world over seven billion population. So it's the extremely tip of the iceberg. Not the iceberg. The tip of the needle is so like very very few women. Um, buying couture. So it's an embodiment of exclusivity. Yeah, exactly. Uh, not to say it's fair, not to say it's good, but let's be honest. Couture. I don't see why it's not fair. Well, cause Let's cause challenge this idea that it's not fair. Why is it not fair? Because everyone should be able to experience the finest things in life, truly. Yeah, they can work and achieve something and, and buy it. Yeah, we can set up that's their fair. own... Yeah, no, no, no. Well, that's fair. Like, I, I agree with you. But uh, probably couture is marketed as well as something exclusive. Because why couture emerge? Because people, because of mass production and higher incomes, people could afford uh, luxury yeah. brands more and more and industry had to re-establish itself as something desirable because you know it's like trickle-down theory you yeah. always want something new is the moment others can afford it so in a way couture couture exists on idea with something aspirational at the top and the moment it becomes inclusive it's not exciting anymore of course of course so i think this this is what i mean it's uh, but besides i also think that uh, so first of all i must say i really really loved the couture collection by them now really loved because i appreciated the fact that he was still bringing his own taste but he was looking at how Cristobal Balenciaga created his own amazing, beautiful structures, and nothing in that collection is uh, simply made. Even what looks m- the most simple, like a t-shirt, has been created by a very... Uh, a, mm, he researched a lot the paddings and the materials to make the t-shirt stiff. If you look at the jeans, for instance, the denim is hand-woven in Japan, and, and the buttons, which look like normal metal, are in fact silver. So nothing is banal. That, to me, is the essence of couture, is research and find the most exclusive way, where exclusive is not a dirty word, to make something uh, unique. Not necessarily beautiful, but unique for sure. Uh, now, the reason why I think, I, I want to challenge this idea of inclusivity, and I want to challenge uh, this idea that uh, fashion and looks should be democratic. It shouldn't. Because the moment in which it becomes democratic, the moment in which you listen to uh, the people at the bottom of the pyramid, given that you were mentioning uh, Zimmel and Veblen and the, and the trickle-down mm-hmm. uh, theory, the moment in which you listen to the bottom of the pyramid, you are just reproducing something uh, already seen. Because the bottom 
wants what they know they want. The point of couture, the point of coming from a tiny uh, minority of people and then it expands to society, is precisely offering some ideas to society that society doesn't know yet. So, the place of couture today, all the brands with couture like Valentino, Chanel, Dior, they can uh, rekindle uh, newness and innovation because that's the only segment of uh, fashion couture, in which uh, sitting down, designing and coming up with new ideas is still allowed. Mass production and pret-a-porter need to run very fast because they have to make profit. Couture can take the time, precisely because the single piece is so expensive and the customers are so few, it can take the time to innovate, to find new solutions to the problem of creativity. It's the only place in fashion that can generate innovation. So the trickle-down system, in my view, is not a curse to be solved, to be, uh, to be somehow uh, exorcised. Is the ultimate... Uh, thing that will save fashion yeah but this is exactly what i would like to challenge what uh brand going to shanghai uh because they say they're bringing some sort of inclusivity uh i think it's contradictory thing because they say oh the influence of china is everywhere aesthetically um economically culturally and in fashion so here we go uh, what they actually saying between the lines is that we attract to the spending potential of Chinese couture customers and that's why we are going there and in this presentation they recreated the saloon the showroom um, the banquet room how it used to look in the atelier of Balenciaga in 1930s and they just did it in Shanghai so therefore they recreated exclusive experience which customers of original designer could have had in the 30s in the modern terms there is nothing exclusive about that they even say it was uh, ridiculously difficult to get an appointment in his atelier in the 30s so they literally just recreating uh, the notion of secluded exclusive experience and uh, covering it with us uh, being exposed to different cultures but well, if we really want to start a dialogue with different cultures and raise some sort of a community awareness, well, why don't we stage a show and presentation in Afghanistan if we really want to speak about contemporary society? No, we, we pick for the society which can make this brand more profitable, but I don't think it will make it more inclusive. Look... Exactly. I so agree with you. Like, it's about uh, making something exclusive. Uh, it's, it's like it's schizophrenia that you were mentioning before. It's schizophrenia, once again. It's making something extremely exclusive for very few and marketing it as exclusive in China. And then for the rest of the liberal world, pretending to be inclusive. So it, this is the essence, what Zizek defines as the essence of capitalism today. We are the Diet Coke society. You want to eat, drink Coke without getting fat. You want to drink coffee without the problem of caffeine. You want the laxative chocolate. So essentially, we are the decaffeinated coffee, the decaf coffee society. We want everything in its opposite. And you can see when you go to Starbucks and you buy a... a a, uh, a cup of coffee and, and they tell you that 1% of that coffee will go to the poor people and Zizek says 
isn't that the capitalism giving you the problem, starving people in, 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 in Africa, but then including the price also the solution to the problem. We also, so forget, we also forget to say what 0% will go to pay taxes, because Starbucks exactly, is notorious exactly. for paying taxes. But the idea is, we are capitalism, but we will convince you that not only you will enjoy our capitalism, but because we know that you want to enjoy our capitalism, but we also prov will provide you with the right atonement for your sin. So you can sin with us, but also be atoned after sinning. And I think fashion is going down the same route. Oh, well, yeah, another way of washing away our sins with money. Um, yeah, well, uh, looks like, again, toxic masculinity, skin care is a good solution after all. Yeah. Just just being honest with the reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, 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 not trying to wash away anything. No, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's just uh, really fashion is secluded industry. It functions on the idea what you want to be able to access something and have this experience. And I don't think it can really exist, especially in a cycle, without creating the excitement and illusion what you are able to belong to this limited few and um, I think it's just literally brand uh, capitalizing under this fake narrative but uh, speaking of uh, brands and maybe capitalization in a way uh, I decided to dress very thematically today Drupi um, not only I'm wearing black I'm wearing off-white dress oh yeah is it yeah I mean Go, you see? Oh, off-white, yes. Off-white. Oh my gosh, I feel so cheap. You're always wearing amazing stuff. And I'm always uh, wearing cos. You have a rich mind, too. Uniqlo, very basic. <laughs> well, I mean, last time probably you didn't wear any Uniqlo. So you see, you said you don't need any. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Jupi, I think, you know what, maybe maybe on the surface it can look very exciting, but isn't it more important what is beneath the clothes? So um, I guess uh, it's a very visual world in which we live and we participate in fashion consumption. Uh, but yeah, uh, so last weekend Virgil Abloh passed away. I think it's always difficult to find out what someone who is quite young and prime uh, passed away because it's a very different dynamic of how we interpret this and the collection which Louis Vuitton uh, stage to commemorate his last collection uh, did say a message about life being very short and the necessity or sort of encouragement to follow the ambitions or try to decide for yourself um, what you think is the right thing to do rather than just to follow anyone else's lead. And I thought it was a very um, thought-provoking message to begin our discussion on Virgil Abloh, uh, what sort of contribution he's done in the industry and what it probably means for future generations, especially with fashion. Uh, having gone through very dramatic aesthetic change over the last decade for sure and we cannot deny he really contributed especially on the level of street style uh, becoming what it is today and 
how fashion builds relationship with it. Yeah, and bringing that street style to uh, Louis Vuitton. That's something that I think that's the one contribution that we will uh, always um, we will always think about Virgil Abloh when we will talk about how street style raised to the to the catwalks uh, of such a brand of of Louis Vuitton. Louis Vuitton is not any brand. Louis Vuitton is you know the <laughs> the the, the, mm-hmm. the top of the top of 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 fashion in terms of cost in terms of production etc so yeah he will be always credited with this yeah i um, i read a lot what he was super approachable and supported a lot of people in the community and he always uh, found his time to speak with his fans and uh, you uh, know I, I can confirm this yeah because yes because I've got a friend of mine a de- super dear friend of mine who is a photographer and he worked with Virgil Abloh and they met on they exchanged some messages online on Instagram like just yeah. complimenting each other on their great work and Virgil Abloh uh, chose to work with him on some projects and apparently my friend always told me how nice he was as a person how unusual and and creative and nice he was as a person so yes i can confirm because i heard from from my own friends that he was extremely approachable yes i think it's quite admirable characteristic right if you can uh, become that big in any industry and still stay humble and friendly towards people regardless of how like what sort of role they uh, have in a life uh, i think that's very inspiring i think the only element which kind of made me reflect a little bit more is how louis vuitton uh, straight after his death uh, staged the show and obviously capitalizing on the narrative that everyone is talking about and in a way i guess it is unavoidable because look fashion is the business of uh, clothing and manufacturing ideas and selling identities and products to people but at the same time, it really shows that the process never stops. It must continue. It must produce more products and uh, bring the cycle into the spit. Uh, but um, at the same time, I also think the show was a little bit like a stage funeral to some extent mm-hmm. with uh, so many messages dedicated towards him. And it highlights to some extent our culture obsession with death, how we, on one hand, um, terrified of it, but on the other fa- hand, we have to make a huge event out of death. Any funeral is always yeah, a big show. I think in a way. I think we are obsessed and terrified. There was a there was a an article I read a uh, while ago by an intellectual, which I cannot remember now, but the article was titled "The Pornography of Death." Because uh, we treat death as pornography in our society, meaning that we don't want to deal with it, with the practical side of it, with people dying or uh, with everything that is, because after all, it's a natural occurrence in life, death, and we don't want to mix with with it too much. But as you were saying, we are very good at celebrations and stuff, especially if you can capitalize out of it. Yeah, and... I think the great thing about Virgil Abloh 
life as much as we can probably judge from our perspective. He was not only celebrated as a designer when he is dead, he had incredibly successful career and yeah. he managed to shift a lot of dynamics in the industry uh, while he was alive. And I probably will take us back to Great Gatsby. Uh, there is a quote which says something along the lines, we should celebrate and show our friendship to a man when he is alive rather than he is dead. And I do find often across many aspects of our life, we miss this opportunity and we celebrate artists, creators, people, community when they are long gone rather than to appreciate every single day we have today. I think this is super important. And on the other hand, I really admire the aspect that uh, Virgil would always support emerging uh, younger generations, emerging designers. And uh, I think it's a great reminder to all of us to support people when they begin something, when they do something new. And even if it's very small, uh, it does not mean it cannot have a potential. So everyone, go ahead and support our podcast. Exactly, do so. Uh, especially toxic masculinity brands. Uh, no, I'm joking. Uh, no, uh, one thing I want to add to everything you say about Virgil Abloh is that what I always said, what there is one. I mean, people may like what he did or may not like, and I don't think that people who didn't like uh, Virgil Abloh's style should be demonized, of course. That's, that's entirely up to... Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't like people demonizing other people's taste, ever. One thing, though, that is undeniable is that um, he was a trendsetter. And you can tell that he was a trendsetter because of the way in which, on the one hand, he understood the zeitgeist very well. On the other, he never bowed entirely to it. He kept one foot inside his own time and one foot outside his own time. In fact, in, in a world where everybody um, uses victimhood and the culture of victimhood, Virgil Abloh died without anybody knowing that he was seriously ill. And that's something that I really deeply appreciate, the ability of being private and not uh, looking for uh, pity around, but being being active up until the last day and, and you know, almost hiding in discretion your own, your, own, uh, uh, your own problem. Not because it's a shame, but just because we have lost a sense of privacy and everybody is looking for, uh, for this sort of culture, is uh, sort of feeding this culture of victimhood that I um, find appalling. And he didn't bow to that. And so I truly and deeply respect him. Yeah, indeed. We live in a culture where everything is on display, even the most private aspects of our lives, and nothing is sacred or, uh, you know, kind of kept as a little private moment. So it is. It is actually very, very uh, fascinating reflection on where our culture is going and what will happen next. Right. Is there anything else? Um, Kim Yun-sung? Kim Yun-sung? Oh, it? yeah. Yes, of course. <laughs> I will get his name wrong. Uh, yeah. Um, so the fascinating leader of um, North Korea um, 
has quite a stunning sense of fashion. I think he is one of these people who is consistent with his aesthetic. And I understand lately in North Korea, the new sort of a higher echelons of power trend is to wear leather coats. Um, no references to anything going on in 40s at all. But um, apparently a lot of uh, people like general masses in North Korea really enjoyed and were inspired by the leader fashion sense and started wearing long leather trench coats. Well, may maybe it's that or maybe they just understand the oppression of a system and matrix uh, rebellion style which we're trying to bring back in a 90s back in fashion after all. So... It was by government forbidden to wear any long leather coats in North Korea. Yeah, uh, what do you think about about the? Because essentially he was forbidding his own. I mean, to me, Kim Yun Sung and and this is uh, not just a leader. This is a dynasty of leaders. The father was also already the uh, the uh, uh, dictator of North Korea. Essentially, what it is is a monarchy in disguise. Okay, is a communist monarchy. Who, I mean, did Marx ever think that communism could be a monarchy, a monarchic system? Probably not. But that's the point. <laughs> Korea, <laughs> like China, like your your beloved Russia. I think they are they. They are societies require some sort of uh, absolute monarchy, and once you um, abolish one, you have to replace it with with another, uh, and and that's the reason why the uh, the communist regimes went to replace, structurally speaking, uh, monarchies in many ways. And in fact, I see a lot of parallels between uh, a lot of parallels between. Uh, the North Korean situation and the and the sumptuary laws of the pre-French Revolution society. In essence, yes, he is fighting capitalism, but not in the sense um, in the sense in which uh, Karl Marx and the communists and the uh, Western communists may have thought of capitalism. The one thing he is fighting about capitalism is uh, the uh, the sense of liberty and and freedom and individuality. That is the aspect of capitalism he cannot bear. It's not. It's not looking. It's not seeking for equality because yes, he is imposing a sort of equity uh, to uh, North Korea, where everybody is equal, but someone is more equal than the others. Yeah, I also find it interesting what, uh, how he goes into this very old-fashioned idea. What he does not want uh, peasants to replicate the style of a king. It's almost like. Uh, we're going back to pre-industrial times where on the, the, the sumptuary laws, yeah, the yeah. laws uh, whereby yeah. uh, the lower classes were f by law forbidden to wear something yeah. that the upper classes could wear. Exactly, because in today's society, celebrities, leaders, luxury brands, they actually thrive on idea what people copy them, but sort yeah. of what makes them uh, recognized as leaders in all sorts of notions, opinion or fashion or... Yeah. Uh, any sort of a lifestyle direction. And here he's uh, literally, yeah, taken back to very, very 
old uh, fashioned ideas what no one can replicate but we also do the same with jeans hairstyles where a lot of aesthetic control which were imposing in North Korea I think this is what makes it so fascinating way not only telling people how to think how to eat how to work how to live we tell them how to dress but in a very specific aesthetics way and I think it's uh, it's worth a proper some sort of a sociological analysis everything yeah. that's going on there yeah I mean in the sumptuary laws existed pretty much everywhere until uh, in Europe until the French Revolution but they also existed in 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 the Far East for instance I don't know much about the Korean royal family which uh, used to be in there before but i do know that for instance in china the uh, only the emperor was allowed to wear a specific shade of gold no one else was so by law so this is essentially replicating some trailers to a new uh, degree and also yes using communism uh, as an ideology to fight capitalism but to pursue the uh, the uh, sort of goal of aristocracy as opposed to pursue the, <laughs> the goal of equality so i find it very contradictory and very fascinating and i'm just waiting for the day in which the north korean regime will crumble forever and i feel is mm, that day is not that far well and we have a lot of leather coats available in the market so when it happens uh, we all can revive the matrix vibes again and a matrix movie remake i think is coming out as well or is it like an extension of a you know story? what's my danger it was the danger of, of this rather than matrix you know that how demnak vasalia brought the post-soviet union uh, style into fashion is that in 30 years if this regime falls there will be a post north korean uh, regime fashion and everybody's gonna run around with the with the haircut of kim Jong and and the leather coat it would be amazing. I, um, I see you th with that haircut, by the I'll, way. Okay, Drippy, well, yeah. this is going to be my new year look, yeah? <laughs> amazing, unless a cold. Um, no, you know what? I actually think you spot on with it. That's why I think it deserves deeper analysis and some archiving because I think it has a strong uh, fashion aesthetic potential to be replicated, mm -hmm. especially here in the West. It's like uh, Soviet uh, fetishism, North Korean fetishism and fashion. I think there's a strong potential. Yeah, let's think about it. Totally. Valdrupi, any last reflections? Um, no. Uh, I think... I, I, sp I s spoke enough. Did you? That's good. Um, all I can say, culture gone bad. Culture gone very, very bad. <laughs> <laughs>